Fran McCaffrey is the head basketball coach at the University of Iowa, and he joins us today on the Sport and the Growing Good podcast. Coach Fran was my own coach back in college many years ago, and he's uh, had numerous positions over the years and has had great experience. He was the head coach at Lehigh University and was the youngest coach in America at age 26, the youngest head college coach in Division I basketball. Um, and ever since that time, um, over the last 25 years or so, Coach McCaffrey has had lots of success at, at multiple stops, and most recently at Iowa. Um, I um, had a really good conversation with Coach McCaffrey in, in a few ways especially. Um, one was... Coach McCaffrey talking about the early importance of a coach he had in Philadelphia who gave him special opportunities that he might not have had. Um, And his personal example with his coach shows how sometimes even at a very early age, uh, the interest of a coach can spur opportunity for kids. Another interesting aspect of our conversation um, was coach talking about how important it is to keep things light at times during the course of a season and to, and to value things like humor and um, good conversation and relationship building on a team, especially kind of during the, the dog days of a season when things get long. Uh, Coach talked about how he does that. So it was a real pleasure to catch up with Coach McCaffrey and to learn from him and looking forward to... Uh, continuing to learn from him um, in the months and years to come. Coach. What's up, Pete? How you doing? Good, man. Thank you so much for... I was really lucky, Pete. Uh, I was uh, was pretty good at a young age. And, you know, in those days, you know, we played outside, you know, things weren't as organized in the summer. And, you know, you played for your school team. Luckily, I went to a, an elementary school that had a really good athletic program. And we would go play teams. And we played a team one, one day, and, and the guy coaching the other team came up to me and said, hey, man, I think you're pretty good. Uh, and he introduced himself to my father, and uh, his name was Sam Lines. And he said, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna have some opportunities. I take some teams around, and like to have your son play for us." And uh, my dad said, "Fine," you know. And so he it was interesting because you know, for for me, I grew up in a in a kind of a mixed neighborhood, and uh, he was a black guy who, you know he kind of really knew the game and and so he would take me and a couple other guys from where we were from and we would go down to the city and play and as i got older uh, we were really close and it was it, it was really at the early stages of aau basketball you know it wasn't as organized you didn't have to shoot companies but you had guys that loved the game that were trying to help kids and, they would take kids from one area and you would play the kids from another area. And, uh, and that's what I did up, up and through high school. And then when, when I was being recruited, 
he was my mentor through the process as opposed to my high school coach. Well, I had a good relationship with my high school coach. He was a good guy. But this guy just, he knew the landscape and he knew me. And, you know, there was a loyalty factor there because, you know, I had been playing for him since elementary school. And ironically enough, he ultimately had his own AAU program. And it was the same AAU program that Kobe Bryant played for. So we essentially had the same AAU coach, but was really AAU when I played. It was just a group of guys going to play. So I was very lucky to have him kind of help me go through my career. And, uh, that's how I ended up playing in the ACC. And then ultimately I transferred, but had a great experience playing in the ACC and then ultimately ended up in the Ivy League. What was his name, Coach? I didn't catch catch it when he's... His name was Sam Rines, R-I-N-E-S. Oh, okay. And and what was his background like? How did he know the game so well? And and um, did he? He was a really good player himself, and uh, you know he he played. He was I'm gonna say he was probably uh, in his thirty, early thirty, thirty, thirty-one. You know, he was still playing the leagues, scoring a ton of points. Uh, he was connected across the board you know in, in those days Pete it was it was very in a lot of ways it was segregated you know the, the black community had their deal and then, and then you know it was kind of like the public league schools and then the, the Catholic League was a little different and the suburbs and different parts were, were very segregated and uh, I remember he took me one day and said uh you're, you're pretty good. Like, you know, he told me in the beginning, I think you're pretty good, we'll do it. But it was baby steps. And then it was like, okay, now you've arrived. We're going we're to take you. I'm going to take you out to West Philly. We're going to try out for this team. There's never been a white player on this on this team. It was an all-star team out of Philadelphia. We're playing an all-star team out of New York. And uh, he said, I think you're ready. And I made the team, and we traveled to New York and played against Albert King. Uh, and then... He said, okay, now you got to graduate to the Sunny Hill League, see if you can handle that, where you're playing every night against the best players in the Philadelphia area. Uh, Sunny Hill in those days is a guy that started a league primarily to get inner-city kids' exposure. And to be truthful, that's where the best players were. So they had no avenues to get scholarships, really, in those days. You, know, you hoped that coaches would come to your high school games. But... He, you know, he put it all on display at Temple University in the summertime. Uh, so I went down there and, and played, you know, for four years. And loved that experience. Got tremendous friendships developed uh, over the years. But I talked to those guys all the time, see them all the time. Some of them are in coaching. Some of them are out of coaching, but still involved in basketball. And uh, it's amazing how our paths cross through the years. But um, it was a lot of fun, and, and we would train hard, and the games were phenomenally competitive. And it ultimately it, it significantly enhanced my exposure and, and status, not only locally but on a national level. So I'll always be thankful to him for that. What? 
did was he your so he was your coach, but then also just kind of a, a mentor through the years. Did he did he then actually run a program um, and and mostly as a coach in the years right, after so in the coached, years after you? Right. So he, he always he always was 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 kind of a local coach. He ran a summer league uh, uh, where he lived, and uh, he would train guys. Uh, privately but then when he put the team together you know he wanted to take his teams to Vegas and various places and get exposure on a national level so at one time he had as I said Kobe Bryant but he also had Rip Hamilton you know Rip in those days they called him Richie Richie Hamilton he played at UConn I think you actually guarded him at some point I have a scar uh, I have a scar on the top of my head from him yeah but well, we won that game, thanks to you. So that's a good thing. <laughs> and uh, and but those two were on the team together, so you can imagine how good they were. And uh, I remember we recruited both of them, and I saw them play at the Palestra in the state playoff game. It was one of the best games I ever saw. Uh, they really went at it, but they were also best friends because they played, you know, in the summer together for for Sam Rhines. Now your your own boys over the last you know ten years or so have been in, in this world of AAU. What do you look for at, with your father hat on? What do you look for uh, in an AAU program for your boys? It's interesting because you know in the state of Iowa, whereas you know the high school teams are good, the coaching is good. It's, it's a little bit of a shorter season and there's not a lot of national exposure that comes from high school basketball. And, and that's you know, probably true across the board anymore. Uh, the AAU programs figured out if we can get all the best players from all the different states into one place and simplify the recruiting process for the coaches, that'll provide more exposure for the players. So the really good players in this state, and, and when I say that, I mean whether you're going to go play in a Power Five school or whether you're going to play Division Three, you're a good player in high school who wants to play college basketball. You have to go on AAU team that travels and goes out of state. You also need to go out of state to challenge yourself to become better, because otherwise, in a state with a small population you end up playing against the same 30 kids every weekend. So our teams will get together and they'll go, you know, it starts, they'll go to Chicago, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Kansas City, you know, Des Moines, you know, you'll travel a little bit, maybe Omaha, and then you might get on one of the, one of the, high-profile teams and go to Dallas, L.A., New York, and so forth. Like my, my son Patrick, for example, he ended up playing for the D1 Minnesota program his last year, and they were probably one of the top two or three AAU programs in the country. And that's where they played. They played in uh, New York, they played in um, L.A., and they played in Vegas that summer. Uh, but prior to that, I mean, they were all over the place. Uh, and I think they had, 
eight players on the team and all eight players were Division One. You had uh, six of them were high major guys. Uh, before that, he played on an Iowa team, the Iowa Barnstormers, that also had uh, a number of high-profile players over the years. Connor played for that program. His AAU experience was a little bit different. It was really helpful for him when he was younger, but he was a two-sport athlete, so he played baseball. So in the summer, he was playing baseball. So his AAU experience really stopped in eighth grade. But playing against those teams and that quality of competition that you're referring to really helped mold him to where he could become a high major basketball player. It seems like for for a lot of years, like you would you would know certain high school coaches and, I, and I'm sure that's still the case. And you'd know like a kid comes out of a given high school system and you kind of, if you know the coach at the high school and you know, he's really good, you know, that the kid will have a certain understanding of the game coming out of that program that he might, that others may not have. Um, do you see coaches like that on the AAU circuit who, who, you know what you're getting with them or is that a totally different ball game? Well, there, there are really good coaches, and there are some that are really just in it to help these kids get opportunities. You know, they're, they're not as knowledgeable, but their heart's in the right place. Uh, some of them, it's big business. Uh, but again, it's still to provide exposure, but, but some of them are, are knowledgeable coaches. You still have the high school coaches that you're referring to, uh, and that's still an important component. The AAU landscape it has changed, and it does provide national exposure, but there's still no substitute for the high school experience, the high school program, the high school coach. Very integral part. I would tell you that for my own boys, but you know, a lot of the guys that we recruit, we still go to the high schools. We might have seen them on the AAU circuit first, but then we'll go to the high schools and we'll watch their high school coaches and see how they're prepared. And, and most often, the ones that have the most success right away are the ones that came out of the great high school programs. And a lot of states have different rules. So what they'll do is they'll kind of do the same thing that the AAU programs do. They'll play in national tournaments. They'll travel out of state. They'll play a national schedule. Uh, and some some states have limited rules with regard to that. Iowa's one of those states. You can play in a, you can play in a one-day shootout in a bordering state, but that's it. Like, you know, our teams couldn't go to a tournament in Myrtle Beach or in Florida or in Vegas or in L.A. Uh, so... That's why, you know, sometimes now you see high school kids transfer to these national high school programs where they train on a regular basis, you know, and I'm not saying it's a great thing because sometimes the classes are online and those kinds of things, but it's, it's a change that some kids feel that they have to make because of the emphasis placed by the NBA on we want you early you know they draft those 
first and second year players more than they draft the third and fourth year players. It's just the reality of the situation. They want to get their hands on you. They want to train you. It's a different game, uh, the NBA, and uh, younger the better. So I think there's a lot of feeling that if I have that potential to play in the NBA, that maybe I should, you know, play in that type of environment where, you know, we're, we're not playing 23 games, we're playing 38 games, and we're traveling to play the top teams, and we're playing games on national television. You know, like everybody knew who Zion Williamson was before he ever showed up at yeah. Duke. Yeah. Then he shows up at Duke, and you know, and further enhances his his reputation, and then you know, the rest is history. Coach, I got a question, kind of out of left field for you, but I got a I've got a reason for asking it. It's uh, who are some of the funniest guys that you've ever been a part of a team with? Is there one or two guys that stand out? whether it was a guy you coached or you played with or just you were associated on a team with who were especially funny? Yeah, I mean, I think every team has one guy that you would put in that category. One guy that sticks out for me is, you know, my freshman year at Wake Forest, his name was Justin Ellis. He he was funny. And he was great off the court. He was great preseason he was great in the weight room and, and then in the locker room maybe like it was a little bit tense he could always have something funny to say he was <laughs> you know we stayed close till this very day matter of fact he passed recently and uh you know i flew to see him I was, it was right in the middle of recruiting season and i flew you know a lot of times you know when people pass you go to their funeral uh, but I I wanted to see him before he passed I went down we, we, we told stories for about three hours in the hospital <laughs> and uh, he died about about eight days later and it was great to see him and remember those stories uh, because you know you, you can't make them up as we say right you, you remember what happened and you remember how he handled it and what he said and uh, but I could go team to team, you know. You know, back in our our, our Notre Dame days, Damon Sweet was a, was a funny guy. Really, he, he had done and said some funny things. I mean, every team, every program has somebody that just kind of keeps everybody loose. And uh, I think those relationships and those experiences. As I said, here I am, I'm, you know, 60 years old, and I'm going to visit my buddy that we became friends when we were 18. Uh, and we stay in touch, and we still tell stories and laugh and joke, and that's what it's all about. One of the reasons I ask that is, well, two reasons. One is that when I think of you in my many years ago um, playing with you, that that's always one of the first things that comes to my mind is your laugh and just, just kind of gut gut laughs you know laughing so hard at things and that is not is not a small thing you know and even when i do see you you know every year or so uh just the laughs are are, it's not a small thing like it's a big part of this whole experience is having guys um together for so long and being able to laugh together is not not a little thing i think that's a great point pete i mean you look at 
you know, you're one of the hardest working players that I've ever been around, and and that's important. But there there has to be an end game. You know, you wanted to be the best player you could be. You wanted to prepare to play against UConn and beat them. You know, but there's times when you're going to lose, and there's times when you're, you might get injured. Uh, it's it, it's a journey, uh, and there's ups and downs, as we all know. But what you want to be able to do is enjoy the ride with your buddies, with your, with your teammates, because there's nothing that compares to those memories and those experiences going on the road and competing together in, in a very difficult environment. Uh, the dog days of the summer, you know, maybe you're in two days or maybe it's, you know, a long lifting day and then a practice. But, you know, just traveling on the plane, traveling on the bus, in the hotel, uh, you know, the day before the game, I mean, yeah, we're locked in and we're, we're studying the scatter report. We're really processing the game plan. But when it's all said and done, You've got to enjoy the ride, like I said. You know, there's a business-like side of it, and there has to be. But I think of all the experiences, going back to the early days when I'm playing for Sam Ryan, and eight of us in one car on our way to a game, and <laughs> you're just happy for the opportunity to play, and then and they, you know, next thing you're you know, I'm playing at North Carolina on Super Bowl Sunday, the pregame, the the game that preceded the Super Bowl. You know, it, 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 it happened so fast. But, uh, you know, you think back to the memories and it just puts a smile on your face to know that you did some of those things with your buddies. But it's no different now. You know, it's one of the great things about coaching. Uh, watching our guys celebrate the locker room after a big win or watching them joke with each other and be there for each other when they have to be. Uh, and I always tell guys when I recruit them, I want this to be the best four years of your life and I want you to make friendships that will last forever. And that's, that's what typically happens. I was even think, even wondering if, you know, when you go out recruiting and you're thinking of, you know, the complementarity of your room that you have of your locker room and you've got, you know, obviously you need to go out and you need to get a big guy. You need to get a shooter. You need to get a guy who can, you know, a playmaker. Um, do you do you even think about things like personality characteristics about, I, I'm not saying you're going to go out and say this year we're going to get a funny guy, but, but I mean is like <laughs> things like, um, you know, we got a bunch of introverts in this room and we need a guy who can come in and, um you know, liven things up. We need more extroverts. Or do you, how do you think about the personality of your team? Very important, Pete, the personality of the team. And, and, and the word that's thrown around all the time is culture. Like, what's your culture? We have a certain culture here. Well, this is how we prepare. This is how we act. Well, that's a very important part of the culture. Uh, you want, first and foremost, you have to recruit a certain type of talented athlete but you also want character character is the most important thing in any locker room are they going to care about each other are they going to live their life in a positive way uh, you know they're not going to be drug abusers they're not going to be big partiers they're not going to uh, 
violate the law in any way. They're, they're going to love each other, they're going to compete, and they're going to play the game, and they're going to really appreciate and enjoy the journey. In that process, you're, as you pointed out, you're signing different guys from different positions. I need a big guy, I need a shooter, I need a point guard. But the character component also deals with personality. You know, that, hey, this guy's going to put his arm around this guy if he's struggling. You know, yeah, okay, maybe they're vying for playing time, but they're not going to hate each other because of that. They're going to love each other. We need you, and you need me, and together we're going to be great. Uh, and it's a long season now, Pete. I mean, yeah, we used to play in the summer, but we really had no access. to. Now we actually practice in the summer. We live together in the summer. So you're starting the first or second week of June, and we would hope to still be playing right now. That's a long time to have a small group of people together. So you better get along, you better have some light moments, and you better enjoy the experience. And I think that's one thing that I really try to do. I never have it to where the guys are uptight and nervous about every meeting, every practice, every game. There's enough stress, especially today, Pete, with the social media component of what our guys deal with. Something you didn't have to deal with back in your day. You know, if you had a if you had a stinker, you knew it. You know, people that were at the game, they saw it, and you got back to work. But now, if you have a stinker, people are viciously attacking you on Twitter, or they're direct messaging you, and and that really requires a locker room that's even more close knit. I've. Uh verified a date and it was December of 1993 this is 27 almost 28 years ago and I was I had a stinker and I we were playing uh we were at Los Angeles played USC and we were we weren't a very good team I was a freshman and I was just kind of you know like the 10th guy on the bench and I um we, we were losing the game kind of by a fair margin and uh coach mcleod put me in at the end of the game with like one minute left or something we were out at at the college i don't remember what the arena was that usc played at out in los angeles it was the la sports arena la sports arena no longer there yeah and i got in and i i was dribbling down with like five seconds left and i i turned the ball over i like tried to throw a pass and i threw it away i don't remember many of my games from college actually but this one I remember and the reason I remember it is after the game we were in the airport in Los Angeles and I was walking with you you don't remember this because you've had thousands of these interactions but I for some reason remember it we were walking in the airport and you kind of sought me out and you walked with me this is back when we used to fly commercial and uh, you you talked through that one minute and he, you said like if you get the ball and you're, you know, you're. It's the end of the game. It's garbage time. Whatever it is you, you told me, don't pass it. Just take it yourself and get the shot. And in yeah. on one hand, that was kind of funny. And you were light, light-hearted about it. But I was a brand new young guy who didn't um, have a whole lot of confidence. I was just a few months into my playing in college, and um, I still remember it. And it, it uh, was one of the, you know, kind of few things I remember about that year. And where I'm where I'm going with this is I think one of the reasons I remember it was because it was it was at 
the airport and we were in this different place and walking and talking. We weren't in the locker room or uh, on the court. And what that's leading to this question I have is, um, do you think about the space where you have conversations purposefully with your players? And like, do you have more meaningful conversations in different places, um, you know, somewhere away from the gym? How do you think about that? With your with individuals, well, I think I think I think the I think it's not so much I would say the place, but it's it's more like the purpose, and I think the place does factor in. I think you're right. If every time we have a conversation like that, I summon you to my office, it's almost like you're getting summoned to the principal's office. Is this going to be good? Is this going to be bad? It's we have a relationship. I'm your coach. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you through this process, through this experience. I'm trying to help you maximize it. So I might, you know, it might be a half hour meeting. It might be a five minute meeting. It might be an hour meeting, but it also might be say one thing that will have a bigger impact than an hour meeting. Put your arm around a kid and say, hey, next time you go coast to coast and dunk that sucker. You know, you're trying to make the right play. The game's over. Just put your head down and go coast to coast. You know, and, and at that time, you know, everybody's, see, when you coach, everybody's different. So your message is always, it, it can't be what, four o'clock, you're mine. And this is the message, you're not robots. Everybody's different. Everybody's in a different place in their career. Think about where you were. You were not heavily recruited. You should have been more heavily recruited than you were. But you were kind of a high school forward who became a high school, or became a college guard. We knew you because you were local and you were toughest guy on any block and you could make shots. And you became a great defender. But it didn't happen because we said, hey, we need you to make shots and be a great defender. You had to work at that. You had to lift and practice and go against good, good quick players in practice and then have the opportunity to play and then perform well and then get more minutes and become a really good player, which is how it happens. It's a process. Everybody wants that process to be quicker. But in, the, in, in that process, there's a lot of communication that goes back and forth, and it's not just in practice. You know, that relationship is ongoing, and that's what coaching is. That's what being a mentor is. So, you know, the fact that I said something to you that, you know, it was was a piece of information I thought was valuable. You know, I also knew that you probably felt bad about turning the ball over. Not that it impacted the game, just because you're a guy that cares about your teammates and your team, and you want to be the best that you can be. And, and that's how you become really good. You're going to make mistakes, and you're going to turn it over, and you're going to miss shots. Well, then you come back and you make shots, and you don't turn it over and you lock somebody up, and you get big wins. And then I think the feeling of accomplishment is is so much greater. And uh, I think we all have to be realistic. You know, I think as coaches sometimes, and you, you've seen these guys, you know, like every time the kid makes a mistake, it's like a personal affront. Like, that's not part of the game plan. Well, it's part of the game. And one thing I always tell the guys, this is not a game of perfect. So we're not expecting perfection. We expect effort 
And that's an expectation, and that should be an expectation. But beyond that, we're going to continue to work hard to become the best player that we can be. Basketball, one of the, you've mentioned it's a, it's a long season, and I always thought one thing that's interesting about basketball, especially kind of here in the Midwest, is like January, maybe over the holidays and through the month of January, it's literally a dark time. It's cold. It's just, it's not nice. And it also happens to be some of the kind of dog days of a basketball season when, you know, all the other students are gone, the campus is dead. It can, it can be a pretty depressing experience in some ways um, for, mm-hmm. for a lot of young guys. Um, do you think about that purposefully as a coach in terms of like how do I, um, how do we keep things not so heavy during this time? How do, what are some of the routines you have to, to get the guys through that grind period? Maybe after a tough loss or just after the grind when everyone's gone? It's absolutely critical at that time that you not be so uptight that it becomes drudgery. Uh, another day, I gotta go mm-hmm. through this routine again. Coach is gonna be screaming and yelling. I don't scream and yell in practice. I really don't. Uh, we teach and we have fun and we get better. It's serious, but it can also be light. And then what we do is, at that time of year, as you pointed out, there's no students on campus. It's cold. You know, you're grinding, playing tough games. You're playing tough teams. So we'll, we'll try to you know, go on the road a little bit, take a trip, go somewhere and play. Uh, what we do is, you know, we'll we try to have nice meals together. So we'll, we'll take the kids to a different restaurant every night, let them take it. And it's very relaxed and, you know, laughing and joking. But a, a nice meal. We try to give them the work that they need, but also give them some time. Because the, the good part of that period of time you're referring to is they're not taking classes. It's, it's the winter break. So there's no, there's no academic pressure at that time. It's, let's just lock in on hoops. Lock in on our next opponent. Let's try to get better. Let's, let's do some skill development stuff. Let's get a lot of free throws up. Let's get a lot of shooting in. Let's stay healthy and let's be together and enjoy each other's company. So I try not to make it stressful. Like, because you're right, Pete, those games are critical. Uh, you've got to win those games. And you're preparing for the NCAA tournament. You, you, and the difference now is people talk less about the regular season and more about the postseason. So... Who does Joe Lenardi have? Last four in, first four out. Who's locked? Who's definite in? In January. Heck, it's in December. It's in November. Uh, so they all know that. They're all aware of that. So if, if we're just so obsessed with that end game that every day is just miserable, we're not going to get any better. So the critical thing is, how is the locker room composed? What's the culture? You know, how much are we making sure that they know and understand that we want this to be a fun time? I want them to look back and say, boy, I wish I could do that again. 
not, wow, this is so hard to go through this. It's boring. Coach is crazy. Uh, he's screaming and yelling. And, and all we do is lift and play and go back to the dorm and, and you know, watch Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, this is an opportunity for us to be together, to grow together, to enjoy each other's company, get better, and prepare for the ultimate goal, which is to play together in the NCAA tournament and then get better to the point where one day I get paid to play basketball and reach my dream. At the same time, you know, graduating from a prestigious institution and, and preparing myself to life after basketball. Coach, my last question is, uh, as you reflect over the years, how have you changed the most as a coach and how important is being adaptable as a coach? Well, the one thing that I haven't done is I haven't changed my personality. So I believe in my guys, I empower my guys and build confidence in them. So if I was recruiting you, I'd tell you, you know, I think coaches like to talk about themselves and I do this and we do that. And what I would tell you is very simply this. My job is to build confidence in you. You're in a really good place. If we're recruiting you, that means you're a great high school player and you're the guy that has the ball at the end of the game and you're going to make plays at the end of the game. And that's what you want to continue to do. So my job isn't to beat you down. My job is to continue to build on that confidence because when you go on the road, you're in a hostile environment and it's loud. You can't hear me anyway. You've got to be able to think and you've got to be able to stay connected to your teammates and you've got to have the confidence within you to go make plays. And that's, that's what I do. I, you know, I, I, I develop confidence in my guys to go make plays. I don't yank you when you make one turnover and scream at you. Uh, you know, it, 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 did you make an aggressive play? I never want it to be a tentative mistake. I don't want you to be tentative at all. I want you to be aggressive and thinking of the game plan, but also understanding time and score. And the only way you do that is if you're a confident player out there and you know what your job description is and how to get that job done. Uh, I've become a better coach because I've had more experience. I've worked for... Coach McLeod, I've worked for Digger Phelps, I've worked for Craig Littlepage, played for Coach Winehouse, I've worked with Tommy Schneider, I've worked with great assistant coaches, Jeff Nix, Matty Kilcullen, you know, Parker LeCount, I've got a great staff here, you know, Mitch Bonagoro was on my staff at Siena, I mean, it's so many great coaches there, uh, and different experiences. Coach, I coached in the South, I coached in the East. I was an assistant coach. I coached in the old Big East, and now I'm in the Big Ten. So I bring more experience to the table. But just because I'm coaching in the Big Ten doesn't mean, okay, I'm coaching way different than I did when I was at the Southern Conference at UNC Greensboro. No. No, I'm, I'm the same person. And I think if you ask Courtney Eldridge, who was my point guard in those days, who's now on my staff here at Iowa, he would tell you. I mean... He, you know, he would tell you I'm the same guy. Uh, he might even say I'm a little more laid back today. Uh, you know, when you're younger, you know, and you're you're on your way up, you may be a little more intense at times. But you know, I was easy going in practice. I didn't scream and yell in practice. I didn't 
belittle anybody. I'm not going to do that. That never works. My job is to build confidence and to maintain a relationship where my players trust me implicitly to make the right decisions and to care about them off the court. Because as you know, Pete, every kid's situation is different. He comes from a different background. And you might have a kid who's going through a tough time. You might have a kid going through a tough injury. They need something at home. And you have to be aware of that, and you have to be there for that person and help them through it. That's what is also a part of the journey that we referred to earlier. And I think it's one of the things that, that you know, for the great mentors that I had, you can never lose sight of that. I care about your guys, you know, and, and, uh, and these relationships, they endure. I mean, I like, just like, it's great to see you every year when we, we, we go to Big Ten meetings and we, we laugh and we joke, we tell, tell, tell stories, and we remember with an incredible amount of fondness what, what happened before. And it's amazing what that experience is. It's different than any other experience you have growing up. Uh, that experience with your teammates, with your coaches, and the journey of you know playing basketball, whether it be middle school, high school, college, it, 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 it's an experience that when you remember with your teammates is unlike any other. I think one of the uh, ch- tough parts about coaching is you don't may not always see the impact you had over the course of many years, and I just know that you know. I just brought up an example of something that happened 27 or 28 years ago, and uh, it's still with me. And I think that, you know, first of all, just I'm grateful to have had mentors through sport like you and, you know, like you and like Coach McLeod and and maybe one or two other coaches I've had. And I and I think that, um, you know, it's a real gift to be able to be in this line of work and to see the lifelong impact we can have. So. Just want to thank you, Coach. You've been well, I think that's a great point, Pete. I, I really do. And, and trust me when I tell you, it was a pleasure to coach you uh, in, in so many different ways. And let's face it, some guys are more difficult, but that's okay. That that's our job is to is to know and understand each person individually and what's going to work for that person at that time. But to, in particular, be there. Maybe when it's a little bit tougher. It's easy to put your arm around a guy when we all won a game. But, you know, the, the, the ride is a little bit different. And uh, you had a fabulous career. But like you said, not every day was, was perfect. And it's never going to be. I don't care how good you are. And that's our job. And that's, I think, the beauty of this profession. And ultimately... It's the fun of it for us, too. I want it to be fun for you, and I want it to be fun for us. And that's that's what it's all about, my man.